just love that line and that quote that Sue read for us, that something is on the horizon. Oh, that is true in the Advent season. It is on the horizon. It is coming. And we don't want to miss it. It's easy to feel that rush, isn't it, already? It's like, wasn't Thursday just Thanksgiving? And here we are, first Sunday of Advent. We need to be intentional in our our preparation and our anticipation so we don't miss what is on the horizon. I read a story this week about a couple that that hosted a white elephant Christmas party at their home with some church friends. And the host writes this. He says, we exchanged white elephant gifts laughing until something stopped all of our fun. The tenth or so person to pick a gift lifted from the gift bag a little baby Jesus in a manger. My wife was stunned when she saw it. It looked just like the central figure in the nativity scene that was on our living room table. So she left the room to check out our nativity scene, and sure enough, the baby Jesus was missing. Somehow, it had fallen off the table and into the gift bag on top of the tissue paper in which the real gift was wrapped. Well, we all had a good laugh, and we returned Jesus to the nativity scene. The more I thought about it, this little incident was quite telling. So often, Jesus is swept off center stage in all of our Christmas festivities, relegated to a kind of white elephant status. How sad, says the writer, when he is so central. Boy, there's some truth to that, isn't there? Well, I think one of the great challenges of the Advent season each year is is, is we, the people of God, um, we, we know the reality of the Christmas story. We, we understand the details. We know the people. We know the storyline. And, and, and we know its theological implications. Really, most of us probably quite well. And because of that, because of the familiarity we can easily lose hold, I think, of its significance in the midst of, of all the other things that will, will call for our attention and demand our time in these coming weeks. And so my, my hope in this Advent series is that we can encourage one another as we take a look at God's Word again and again to keep a firm mental hold, if you will, a firm grasp upon Jesus throughout this season that the old familiar uh, truth of why he was born and the redemptive work of God through the Son. Very, very significant for us. And so we're going to use a a non-traditional Christmas or Advent text in these days. I, I hope that's okay with you. I mean, even if it's not, we're going to. But, you know, that, that seemed a polite thing to say. So, so... We're not going to be spending a lot of time on these Sunday mornings with, with Mary and Joseph or the shepherds or the Magi, not even the angels. But don't worry, because they're going to find their way into our worship service. That wonderful story, the cast of characters, they'll be present in our songs and, and in readings and, and specials. But our main focus, strangely enough, is going to be on Jesus. We're going to focus on Jesus. And not, not so much the birth of Jesus, although that is certainly what we are celebrating in this season, but 
more on Jesus the man, the God-man, the Savior, the one who was, who was born to die, that is why he was born, born to die for lost and broken people. And our Advent text is it's going to be uh, from Romans chapter 5, the first 11 verses. As I was praying about the Advent series, I found myself drawn to, to Romans 5, and so reading through it, was delighted to find that each one of the Advent, the traditional Advent themes are present in that text. And it's, it's just never jumped out at me like it did in this season. And so the series began to take shape in my mind. Hope, peace, joy, love, those, those traditional themes. And Paul takes them and ties them all theologically to the work of God through His Son, the Lord Jesus, on behalf of sinful humanity. And so, so the very best of the Advent themes, uh, which we all want in our lives, the very best of them results from, from the atonement, what Jesus was born to do. And every year, you know this, the Advent season is a time of, of waiting and preparing for Christmas Day as we, uh, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the very word is, is derived from the Latin, which means coming or, or to come. And so, so we, we live with this sense of anticipation. It's kind of like a time warp, a little bit. You know, we try, to, we try to live in the present like the past hasn't happened. But yet, we know that it has. We know that Jesus has been born, but for the next Four weeks, we're going to anticipate his birth. That's why you'll note that there's a sense of momentum that sort of builds in the service each week. A hint of it this morning, and there'll be more next Sunday, and by Advent Sunday number three, uh, we're getting into it, and by the fourth Advent Sunday, Christmas Eve, I mean, we are partying. It's, it's just, it's all out. But I think, I think the build-up and the discipline, trying to live in that time warp, is good for us. It's, it's intentionally walking back through a story that is so central to our lives as God's people. I think that, that in our society, one of instant gratification, I want it now, culture, uh, that, that anticipation, that intentional waiting and preparation is good for us. Having said all that, I want to be quick to say, but we mustn't do that with the Advent themes. There is too much at stake. Theologically speaking, the best of hope, the best of peace, the best of joy, the best of love, the the superlative of each one of those themes has happened and is available to every one of God's people. Jesus was born so that he could live as a perfect human and die as a perfect sacrifice. That is what theologians refer to as the atonement. And the result is hope, peace, joy, love, touching and changing our lives as the people of God. It is a, it is a present tense 
There is no waiting. We must live them now. And that's why I'm calling this series Living into Advent. A couple of reasons in my mind why, why it's important. First, we need to live into Advent because, truthfully, as the people of God, we have been given much. We've been given much. And we need to live our lives as if what we have been given is really true. Because it is true. And, and so we need to, to live in that truth. The, the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that we celebrate traditionally in this season, we have received in full measure from God those things. How does it make a difference in your life? How is it making a difference in, in my life? I think there's a second reason that we need to live into Advent, and that is for the sake of those who are not. For the sake of those who, who cannot. Because they do not know Jesus as Savior, and therefore they don't have access to the hope, the peace, the joy and love that God makes available to his people. We don't need to look far in any direction to know that there are people who are desperate and in need of hope and peace and joy and love that comes from God that is made possible for them through Jesus. There was a 2013 uh, research poll that was done by the Pew Foundation. They were asking people what they they like most and least about the Christmas season. It's interesting, most liked spending time with family and friends, religious services or religious reflection, the Christmas spirit of joy and goodwill, music, decorations. Some said shopping, and some said what they liked the most is the end of the Christmas season. What they like least, commercialism and materialism, money and expense, shopping and crowds, hectic pace, and the bad moods of people. Interesting, isn't it? Those responses say, at least to me, I I hear in them that, that there are folks who are looking for something that is much more meaningful, much more significant than what our retail materialism culture madly drives this time of the year. What an opportunity I think we have as as God's people to make hope and peace, joy and love attractive to those who watch our lives, to make them attractive in this Advent season and certainly year-round. So this morning we're going to start with hope. We're going to start in Romans chapter 5. So let's stand and read together. First 11 verses from Romans 5. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. 
and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Quite the text. All of our Advent themes are, are woven into that, and, and we will we'll discover them in the context of, of that larger picture as we journey through this Advent. Heather, can we put up that next slide? We just read these words together up the top, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, you probably know that the glory of God is most often a phrase that speaks to the character of God. It has to do with God's holiness and the perfection of character that comes from God being holy. Holy being ultimately separate in every way from his creation. So, what is the hope then that Paul is referring to in that phrase? And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is the hope that he's referring to? What is the hope that has its origin in or, or is possible because of the glory of God? Does that make sense? What kind of hope is Paul talking about? Go ahead, ask your neighbor, see what they think. Talk about it for just a minute or two. All right, we ready? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Such a powerful statement. The hope of the glory of God, the hope that comes from the glory of God, the hope that is made possible by the glory of God. Three ways that you could translate the genitive case there. What what do you think? What do you think? Okay, that scripture is true. Why? Our hope is in the truth that the scripture teaches us about God. Okay, okay. All right, what else? Okay, so there's hope when we're focused upon God and who he is versus ourselves. I like that. What else? Add to it. Yes. Good word, trustworthy. Yes, yes, good, good. Yeah, trustworthiness flows out of the fact that that God is perfect. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. His bigness, our smallest. Reminds me of what Paul tells the Colossians when he said, our life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, little me is hidden in this big goodness. Yeah. There was another hand I missed. Trusting that we're going to experience the grace of God and all his glory. And, and we can trust that that will happen because of what we're saying here. 
God's perfection. God is trustworthy. Ah, transformation of your character. Okay. Praise be to God. I'm not stuck in this mess that I am. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. But you guys have hit on it. It's, it's, a, it's, all, it's about the bigness of God. It's about the character of God. It's about the trustworthiness of God. Living with that. And, and, and we'll, we'll see that phrase later on that Paul uses where, where God poured his love into us through the presence of the Spirit. Absolutely. Yeah, God is, we, we are blessed when we, when we glorify God. Remember Isaiah's words in, in the sixth chapter, the glory of God filled the temple. The, the, the presence of who God is. In God's presence, Father, Son, and Spirit, we have hope because of the nature of that relationship and the character of that relationship and the quality of love and purity, and commitment that flows from that relationship. You know, one of the, one of the challenges that we face every Sunday is just is lack of time. I hope that you will find some time to go back and read Romans 1 through 4. Just spend some time this week doing that over the next couple of weeks. Because we've started our text this morning with that word, Therefore, and, and we know that that ties us back to something that is previous. So real quickly, let me just tell you where Paul has come. In chapter 3, and if you go back and read through Romans 1 through 4, you'll discover this. He makes a case for the hopeless state of humanity. Quotes extensively from the Psalms and from Isaiah the prophet. And he paints a word picture of humanity uh, that is, is just not pretty. He gives us this picture of humanity as a whole being rebellious and arrogant before God. And there is, there is no one righteous, not even one, before God. And even though there are some who have the law, and Paul is thinking of his own people, the Jews, even though they have the law, they're not considered righteous either because they can't keep the law. And then Paul makes this shift... The end of chapter 3 introduces a righteousness that comes from God apart from the law through faith in Jesus for those who believe in him. And here's what he says. Listen, there is no difference. He's talking about those who have the law and those who don't have the law. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And then Paul ratchets the argument up a little bit, and you'll find him in chapter 4 referring to Abraham, who was the man of the Jewish nation. He goes on to say that not even Abraham was justified by his works. Abraham trusted and he believed God. And Paul says it was credited to him as righteousness. It was deposited into his bankrupt account. Abraham believed God to be who he revealed himself to be. And this was 2,000 years or so before Jesus. 2,000 years before the resurrection of Jesus, Abraham, we can assume, knew nothing about Jesus, and yet it was his believing in God through the redemption that Christ would bring 2,000 years later that was credited to Abraham as righteousness. He was counted as righteous because of Jesus. 
the one who was born to die, that we celebrate in this season. And now, the end of chapter 4 then, here's what Paul says talking about Abraham. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, says Paul, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. Paul's point is because this is true, we can be justified, just as Abraham was, for believing in God and what he has done for us. And that all brings us up to the therefore that we started our text with. Therefore, because all of this is true, Paul says, therefore, since we are justified, as Abraham was, we have peace with God. By the way, there's another Advent theme. And we rejoice, or we have joy, another Advent theme, in the hope of the glory of God. Or we could put it another way, because of who God is, His perfect and His unchanging character, we can count on God to come through for us in the way that He has promised He will. It's all about redemption. God promises redemption, restoration, Rescue from self, Diane, for those who put themselves in a place of surrender and trust and faith in what Jesus has done for them. And that is the foundation out of which hope just rises up in the life of a believer. Hope is a powerful thing. You know, it's defined by Webster as to want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen, or be true. To, to cherish a desire with anticipation, to desire with expectation of obtainment, to, to expect with confidence. Some of you perhaps have, have read some works by Daniel Gilbert. He's a Harvard psychologist. He's a researcher. He says this, the human being is the only animal that thinks about the future. I knew that. My dog doesn't think about the future. I told you that. We think about the future in a way that no other animal can, does, or ever has. He calls it the defining feature of humanity. I don't know that I agree with that, but it's an important point. He says the average adult spends 12% of the day thinking about the future. Roughly one of every eight hours. We can imagine events years into the future. The rest of the animals cannot begin to match that. Well, as we think about events into the future, or we think about events that we are facing now that impact our future, Paul is talking about hope that makes us secure in the face of all of that. And, and it can be a future that it's as, it's as near as this afternoon when you drive away. It's as near as, as tomorrow. Future that is potentially as far away as, as what happens after I die. We are eternal beings. We're made by God and we are made for God. And so my friends, when we talk about hope at Advent, we need to understand that that. Biblically, hope is grounded in what God has done. Hope is certain 
Because God cares about what is happening on this earth. He knows the brokenness and the mess that humanity has created. And He has a plan for redemption. There is hope that something really good can come. That there is more than just happenstance or, or, or random chance that is driving the events of this life. There is, there is purpose in the chaos. And even more than that, more personally, there is a God who cares about individuals. People who are the objects of His great love. There is hope for them. There is care and there is security for them when they put their trust, their faith, their confidence in Him. It is a sure hope because it is a hope that is grounded in the character of who God is. You know, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that that God has put eternity in the hearts of all people. One writer puts it this way. says, every person, whether they are Christian or not, has the spiritual DNA of Adam and Eve in them. This spiritual DNA draws our hearts toward heaven. It creates a longing and an understanding that there is more than this life. He says it's very real and it's very biblical. You remember the words of the Apostle Peter when he was writing to believers who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire that they should set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts so that they would always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks them for the reason for the hope that was in their lives. Set apart Christ as Lord. That presupposes a surrender to Christ. It presupposes a a submission to, to Him and a trusting in Him and a placing of ourselves with trust and confidence upon His shed blood for what He has done for us. And it is out of that that we find hope. And I think what I love most about Peter's text is that we're not responsible to convince people. When they ask about our hope, we can tell them about the hope that we have. We don't have to convince them. We simply just tell them, this is why I have hope. Because God is. And because God has done this for me. Paul is saying in our text this morning that the hope that God gives through redemption in Christ does not disappoint us. Isn't that a great line? Hope does not disappoint us. It is the real deal. It is what human, the, the human soul longs for so often. Relationship with God that we were created for. And the reason it does not disappoint us at our redemption, God puts His Spirit into our lives. He refers to it as God pouring out His love into our hearts. I love that statement. God just pouring love into those He has redeemed. He wrote to the Ephesian believers and said that the Spirit is a deposit 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the final redemption of those who are God's possession. Our hope is certain because God is who God is. I I can't say it any other way. Hope is only as sure as the object in which one puts their hope. Put your hope in God and your hope will be secure. Put your hope in something else and it will only be as certain or secure as that something else is and its nature. And the sad truth is that many people are putting their hope in things, potential events, and, and, and people in this world only to be disappointed again and again and again. How about us? Do people see us living with great hope in the midst of the difficult circumstances that we are a part of, that we share with others? Do they see us living with sure hope? Do they see us putting our hope in the same flimsy kinds of things that they put their hope in? God's people need to live out the Advent hope, the hope that is grounded in the character of God in such a way that that others see us living our lives, even though we struggle with the same things, even though we experience the same pain, even though we're confronted with the same disasters and disappointments and the same garbage that is so prevalent in this fallen world in which we live, do they see us responding to that stuff differently? They only will if our hope is grounded in the God whose character never changes. They will not see anything different in us if we are putting our hope in temporal, futile kinds of things. And so, just imagine that someone says to you who's been watching your life, so tell me about the hope that you have. Tell me, how can I have hope? Are we going to say to them things like, well, don't worry, things will get better? Probably not. Don't worry, the economy is bound to turn around. Don't worry, you'll get better. Don't worry, there's a job out there for you. Don't worry, we've faced hard times before and we'll get through this. How easily those words can sort of slip from our lips when we want to give encouragement to someone that we care about when the truth is, we're lying. We don't know that any of those things are going to happen. And if that's the source of hope in our lives, holy cow, we got issues. Our hope is in the God who never changes in the love that he has made available for his people through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Now that is hope. That is the hope that the Spirit of God fills us with the ability to live out in the face of life that is really hard, that is unfair, that is painful, that is full of disappointment, that is full of pain. Are we living out that hope so that others see it and potentially are drawn to it? Praise team, 
come on up and, and prepare to lead us in response this morning. Please, as they come, but just, can I say, I'm not suggesting for a moment that, that, that we're calloused and uncaring and that, that we write off people's concerns and hurts. I, I hope you haven't heard that. As the people of God, we need to constantly be evaluating ourselves. What am I putting my hope in? If we're not putting our hope in God, if our hope is in the things of this world, then we really don't have much to offer others by way of the hope of Advent. In the words of that great old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it's precisely because that is true that, that we can give ourselves fully to loving and caring for others. Our hope is not dependent upon anything of this world. We live in a way that really suggests to others that we believe that and we'll have the opportunity, I think, to share with them where our hope is and in whom our hope is found. You know, Eugene Peterson says this in uh, one of his books. He says, he's talking about apocalypse. You know, the apocalypse is that, that, that sudden unfolding of, of, of an event. How do we live as apocalyptic people, people of the apocalypse? And he says, you know, if everything is falling apart and the world is about to come to an end, why not just cut and run? Why not eat, drink, and be merry? For tomorrow we may die. He calls that a bastard apocalyptic. Apocalyptic that has no parentage in the scripture. No parentage in the gospel. He says, no, he says, the people of God live their lives in such a way that they understand that things are probably going to get a whole lot worse, but they don't cut and run because they found hope in God and they live to offer that hope to others through their words, their lives, their actions. He says, the real thing develops communities, develops communities of God's people that are passionately patient, courageously committed to witnessing and working for the kingdom of God, no matter how long it takes or how much it costs. That is driven by hope in God. Amen.